Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name's Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, and we definitely want to keep that conversation going after the show, so make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page, along with the T Public links. And there's a lot of stuff going on at the T Public store. I'm just going to put that out there right now, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. The Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month, and a whole lot of content on the way. Shout out to all our amazing patrons who definitely go the extra mile to support the brand. It definitely does not go unnoticed and so, so, so much appreciated. Check out the Parley Points blog section, classified section, the directory. I mean, there's so much going on. The links to 3FN Podcast. Shout out to our friends over there. If it's anything and everything that is involving the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition proper of the sports show, we are recapping the week that was in the NFL, and we're doing it the only way the ODPH can, and that is via the Locks and Leaps contest that is going on. Big moves happening if you're following on Facebook. Don't want to get into scoring just right now. Mm-hmm. But we definitely have to recap those games. So, Pat, kick us off. Yeah, we're going to start with my lock. And I chose the Seattle Seahawks to beat the Los Angeles Rams. Well, because partially it's the Seahawks. They're doing pretty good this year. And also because uh, Matthew Stafford is unlikely to come off injured reserve list uh, due to a spinal cord contusion. Yeah, he's done for the year. Yeah, so even if he's like at playing uh, capabilities, it's a spine. It's kind of important to how you move. They're not going to want to mess around with that. So he's probably done for the year. Plus, their season's a wash, let's face it. Because uh, And the Seahawks did win by the final score of 27-23. Geno Smith, 28-39 for 367 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. John Wolford. Who? Uh, exactly. 14-26 uh, of 26 for 178 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, you had DJ Dallas was leading rusher for Seattle with 10 carries, 37 yards, no touchdowns. Cam Akers led for Los Angeles with 17 carries, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett led Seattle with receiving with nine catches, 128 yards, and one touchdown. Also of note, DK Metcalf had eight catches, 127 yards, and one touchdown. God damn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then for Los Angeles, you had uh, Tutu uh, Atwell lead with receiving with two catches, 48 yards, and no touchdowns. The takeaway I have from this game is, is Seattle ready for prime time? And what I mean by this, Pat, is obviously you take a look at the NFC West standings. Mm-hmm. Seattle is now seven and five. Yep. The Rams are three and nine. Yep. Rams season is done. We said this for a while now. Matthew Stafford is done for the season, so I'm wishing him nothing but a speedy and healthy recovery from everything he's got to take care of because mm-hmm. he played this entire season injury filled. Yeah. To put it mildly, like yeah. every time he turned around, he was hurt, he was banged up, and he was still leaving it all on the field. We do not expect anything less from him because yeah. this is something he's done since he's been in Detroit. So pretty much seeing this now, Seattle has been the Cinderella story of the NFL this season. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very fair statement to make. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, especially because Russell Wilson left, you weren't quite sure what the heck you were going to get out of Seattle. In comes Geno Smith, you know, very much, uh, 
you know, not exactly a savior in, in coming, you know, but you know, the, hey, we'll see what we can get. Let's mm-hmm. just hope for a couple of wins. So the fact that they're in second place in the NFC West, they're currently in seventh place in the uh, NFC in the playoff standings. So the fact they're even here is shit. I don't care how far they go in the playoffs. This season's a win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But the question now turns to are they ready for prime time? Because they did squeak out a win against the Rams. Mm-hmm. This was not a blowout by any means, especially for a Rams team that is very, very depleted. So now looking at the future with the season <coughs> winding down, Seattle arguably is going to make the playoffs Should. in some capacity. Are they going to make a deep run here, or is Cinderella's time slowly winding down? Right. That's the question that I'm looking at here. I honestly don't know. I mean, I could see him winning a game in the playoffs. It wouldn't be pretty, and it would and it would be close. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like, oh, are they going to be in the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl? No. Yeah, no, I, there, there's there's just too many teams up at the top, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, that's just they're too good if they run into if Seattle runs into them. They're, it's it's just a, especially the way you look at the way Dallas played this week, which we'll get to, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a buzzsaw. The, the, like I said, depending on matchups and how it goes, you know, that, that wild card weekend, I could see him maybe squeaking out a win because, hey, any given Sunday you know, sure. or in playoffs case Saturday. You know, you just never know. But in terms of, like, deep run, no. I don't think they're going to make a deep run either, but this game did cause me a little concern because I understand it's division. We always say division game, no matter what, teams will get up for. Yeah, yeah. The Rams are so injury-riddled, though. Like, that's the one thing, that this is the B and C squad for the most part on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. And you're only beating them by four. So I'm looking at this going, it's a great win for Seattle division. It does help your playoff chances immensely. But this was also a very painful game to watch in the sense that you should have blown them out maybe by 7, 10, give or take. I'd say 10 at the least. You know, somewhere in that vicinity and squeaking out with a four-point win. Yeah. I would say you don't exactly have to hit the, the break last in case of emergency button. But it's something to keep the hand warm on it yeah. if you're expecting to make a deep run. But like we've said, they have been the Cinderella story of the NFL this year. Where How far they get is going to be a win no matter what. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at it too critically. But I'm saying I'm now switching into playoff mode. And I'm saying, okay, how is this team going to share mm-hmm. a, the workload and really progress forward in those playoffs? And that's the situation. I just, I don't know with this team. Like, sure, yeah. could they sneak out a win weekend, wild card weekend? Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're good. they're good. But for a deep run against like Dallas or Philadelphia in comparison, I think they're going to struggle. Well, the thing that works in Seattle's favor is, you know, going into the season, I would say their number one need for the upcoming draft this uh, this upcoming year was a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But now with seeing how good Geno has been in that system and how well he's played, you probably still need a quarterback. But it's not exactly the number one like, oh, my God, we need this right this second. We're up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Yeah. You know, you know, Geno has shown that, like, you know what? We need one. But if there's one in this upcoming draft class that doesn't blow us away that we know we'll be able to get, we're not exactly hurt. No, definitely not, but I think it's a situation they got to start thinking long-term. I think Gino has surprised a lot of people, but the question will become next season mm-hmm. is can he keep surprising them? Because you know how much defensive coordinators watch tape. They watch film. They yeah. watch games. Yeah. Can Gino at this stage in his career continue the success, or are they going to start finding faults in his game and capitalize on him? That's the only thing I would say 
in the immediate short term that they would need to worry about in the postseason. But long term, I think Seattle is going to go get a new quarterback anyway and have him sit behind Geno and really get that one special player ready to mm-hmm. go. Because you have to be special to fit in that system and really carry that franchise moving forward. Because yeah. they're showing that they're winning with a team mentality. Mm-hmm. It's not any real superstars on this team, with the exception of DK Metcalf, I would say. Yeah, everybody else is very good role players, but there's no way to stand it out. I mean, I know Kenneth Walker has been the surprise of this season mm-hmm. in the running back position, mm-hmm. but I think now is a question of we've surprised enough people. Can we now become the norm and become a staple of offense that is going to really give teams fits? Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting story to play out, but I think it's a gritty win. But for playoffs, I don't know, man. That's, no. I'm still in the fence. Uh, looking at schedules for Seattle this upcoming week, they have the Carolina Panthers. Then they have the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the New York Jets, and then the L.A. Rams to close out the year. Uh, and on the flip side for the Rams, they have the Las Vegas Raiders this upcoming Thursday. Uh, the Green Bay Packers uh, the week after on Monday Night Football. Then they've got the Denver Broncos, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Seattle Seahawks to close out the year. It'll be an interesting ride for L.A. now moving forward because they just picked up Baker Mayfield right before we hit air. Yep, uh, so they're only paying uh, $1.5 million for Baker this year. And I and listen, I know people are like, oh, he's going to go to he's going to go to uh, San Francisco, which, yes, San Francisco obviously does need a quarterback given the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo or Jimmy Garoppolo done for the year. Uh, and then also you've got, uh, what is it, their, Trey Lance is out. So, you know, Mr. Irrelevant stepped in for them. Mm-hmm. But the thing with... You know, I think a lot of people forgot with the way waivers work is it goes worst to best. And, well, <laughs> uh, currently San Francisco is sitting at one, is one, two, three, four, five, the uh, sixth position, best record in the NFL. So they, there was – and Los Angeles was third from the bottom. Yeah. There's no I, – I looked at the thing and I'm like, there's no way he's making it past the Rams. Yeah, and there's some wild reports going as we were recording. There's a lot of stuff coming on with the Jimmy G stuff. Uh-huh. There is a report right now on ESPN that they're saying, quote, sources are saying Jimmy Garoppolo might be okay for playoffs. Is it like a broken foot or something? That's what I thought. It what? was Yeah. But apparently, uh, according to the article that is up right now, they're saying the doctors have said that it's not a Lisfrain fract injury. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. So he's not going to need surgery. So it all just depends. So this article is just breaking. Uh, it's written by Nick Wagner or Wagoneer uh, for ESPN, so it's, it's just breaking right now. So that being said, I that would be huge. Play, playoffs are like, let's see, last week of the season is January 8th because there's no Monday night games. Uh, so, I mean, playoffs are a little over a month away. So, I mean, unless he's got that Terrell Owens, you know, John Cena healing factor, you know, Wolverine healing factor. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, but even still, you know, they've expressed interest. They were expressing interest before the game on Sunday oh, yeah. at him coming back. I wouldn't rush him for anything because you hurt, if you rush him back, he gets hurt again. Well, now he's out basically all of next year. Yeah, I it's a it's a careful line to walk for Frisco. So they're going to have to think about that. But like I say, it's a very interesting article that's just breaking. Like I said, Nick Wagoner. Uh, is the writer behind it. So definitely you want to go check that out, ESPN.com, because I definitely want to take a deeper look at this because you don't want to rush back a quarterback because we all see this and kind of tie yeah. this back to the Rams. Yeah. This is a problem 
that if you bring a quarterback that's not ready to play, mm-hmm. look at the damage it can do to your team. And I'm All sorry, right. Stafford was not ready to go this year. So yeah. no matter how you want to spin it, yeah. it's not going to matter. But speaking of those 49ers, Pat. Yeah, I chose the Miami Dolphins as one of my two leaps, uh, and that did not happen uh, because the San Francisco 49ers beat the Dolphins 33-17. to uh, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, uh, literally, folks, he was the last pick in the NFL draft the year he came out. Uh, 25 of 37, 210 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Tua Tagovailoa, 18 of 33, 295 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, no surprise, was the leading rusher for San Francisco. 17 carries, 66 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Raheem Mostert was leading for Miami with seven carries, 30 yards, no touchdowns. Tyree Kill, again, surprise to no one, led Miami with receiving. Nine catches, 146 yards, one touchdown. And then Christian McCaffrey also led in receiving for San Francisco with eight catches, 80 yards, and one touchdown. Well, where do we start with this game? Shout out Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, Brock Purdy played great. Now, can he continue this magic moving forward? He's going to have to Uh for seeding purposes in the playoffs. But with this article now breaking about Jimmy G, I mean... This is a very, very tough situation for San Francisco. Right. Well, and they currently have four quarterbacks on their payroll right now. Uh, you obviously got Jimmy G, who's out. You know, Trey Lance, who's on IR. Uh, they signed Josh Johnson, who was on, I want to say, Denver's practice yes. squad. So, and the That's thing, right. The thing, of it, the thing with the way NFL rules work is because he was signed off of a practice squad, he has to be on the active roster for like three weeks mm-hmm. or something like that. So... You know, he'll be with them for three weeks should the ship go south with Brock Purdy. But, hey, you know, good first week for you. You know, you you performed well, especially given the fact that Jimmy G went out fairly early, it looks like. I didn't, I wasn't able to see the game, but, you know, Jimmy G only went two of four, 56 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. So it sounds like he went out fairly early. Uh, but, for hey, for Brock Purdy to come in, very little reps, you know, considering he well, he's the backup, mm-hmm. you know, and to pull out a win against the, the Miami Dolphins, who, you know, listen, they're 8-4 and four with a 3. I'll give them their due, yeah. Yeah, they're 3-3 three and three on the away record. You've got Tyree Kill routinely dropping 150 yards receiving on you. It's a pretty damn good game for you. It's an amazing game for him to come out with, and this goes to show more so to me how real San Francisco's defense is. Mm-hmm. And we don't give him enough praise but they can definitely shut some teams down or slow them enough that they're going to give teams fits in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. If they get Jimmy G back, that would be a huge win. But then again, San Francisco is a team that doesn't really need a quarterback to take over a game. Like I know that sounds weird to say, but if you think about it, what they built out there has been defense first, Mm -hmm. and then offense has been a secondary option. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is no slight against the offensive players on the 49ers because they're the real deal. The Christian McCaffrey deal has paid off dividends oh, yeah. out the gate. So now that you have a lot of options to work with George Kittle and you know Debo Samuel is in the lineup. Oh, yeah. So like they have a lot of stuff that they can really give some teams fits with. Mm-hmm. But that defense is what's going to keep them in every game. And then you take it to shutting down Miami, who, let's face it, had been on fire – Two had been in talks for the MVP story. And, like, listen, you know I don't like the Miami Dolphins. If, if you're right. new to the show, I really don't like Miami. I really – that's, my like, one of my f- most hated teams of all football, mm-hmm. of all sports, to be honest. But I will give Tua the due. Coming back from that horrific injuries that he had, mm-hmm. to see him playing at this elite level, that's a big win for Miami. 
This, though, you can say it's a bad game, but I think you have to look at it as San Francisco is a playoff team. Mm -hmm. This is how you match up against playoff teams. So can you win consistently now moving forward, or have you been exposed a little bit? I think this is just a bad game because you're talking really two playoff caliber teams going at it. So you have to kind of factor all that in. Mm -hmm. So I would say this is not a cause for alarm for Miami, but this is a situation, too, as you're now slipping down the seeding ranks Mm -hmm. in the playoffs. You're going to have to really make a good run to keep that ship afloat if you want to get a good seat for the playoffs. So, yeah, Miami currently in the sixth position. Yeah, and that went from, what, number two? At least, yeah. Yeah, they were up very, very high. I don't think they were number one, but I think they were number two. Uh, I think they were close. Uh, There's no way for me to check week to week. But uh, currently, Buffalo is number one over Kansas City, and that is based on uh, head-to-head win percentage. Mm -hmm. Kansas City's number two. Baltimore's number three. uh, Tennessee is number four. Cincinnati is number five. Miami is number six. The Jets are number seven. The Patriots are number eight. And then uh, then uh, after that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, who, well. They're there. Yeah, it's nice of them to be on paper. I'm yeah. sorry, L.A. does not scare me one bit, even if they get in the playoffs. I don't care if they had an undefeated season. I would not be worried about the Chargers one bit. Cool, Chargers, cool. I'm just saying it's facts. But for Miami, though, this is a real litmus test to see where you're ranking against the real quality teams like have they had quality wins yeah sure i mean hey they beat buffalo yeah not gonna not gonna take that away but this is also where they're really gonna need to make sure that they're running as well as they can because Mm -hmm. once you get into that playoff mode you're not gonna have games to bounce back from with this no and i mean taking a look at their schedule this is a situation now where we know the bills are coming in two weeks Mm -hmm. that game just got flexed to saturday night too Uh uh-huh and it's going to be very, very cold in Buffalo. So yeah, I am enjoying well, this. The yeah. more the more snow, the better. As long as they don't have to move the game to Detroit, because I think that would just be against the Bills' favor. But nevertheless, Miami does have a tough road coming up moving forward. Yeah, so they've got the Los Angeles Chargers this upcoming week on Sunday Night Football. Uh, they've got the Buffalo Bills, as you mentioned, the week after. That is on Saturday night. Uh, then they've got the Miami, or excuse me, the Green Bay Packers the New England Patriots, and then the New York Jets to close out the year. Yeah, so they got a lot of division games, which with how tight the AFC East is, every game now has a heightened importance Mm -hmm. that really comes into play, and Tua needs to make sure that he's putting points on the board. If his role players are not stepping up, he's got to find a way to win, like all the great quarterbacks do. Yeah. And Tua does have the potential. I'm going to say that right now. He's got the potential to do it, but... If they're not doing this against the teams they need to be doing this against, this mm-hmm. is all for naught. And, I mean, what else can you say about Frisco? Frisco, they've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night football. Uh, they've got the Washington Commanders bum, 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 bum. on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then on New Year's Day, they've got the Las Vegas Raiders. And then they've got the, the Arizona Cardinals to close out the year. So the 49ers do have a tough stretch there. Yeah. So it's not out of the realm of thought about them splitting and still making a, a good run in the playoffs. But this new report about Jimmy G is going to be the one to watch. But I would say this is a solid win, and especially for Purdy. I'm not saying this is Tom Brady 2.0 coming off the bench and, <laughs> and going to lead your franchise to the future. No. But he played very well against yeah. a playoff yeah. team. That's something that the 49ers can rally around. It just depends on what he's going to do next week against Tampa Bay, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the real test for him because going one-on-one against Tom Brady, hey. even at 
you know, 58 years old or however old he is. 102. Yeah, exactly. He's still Tom Brady. The mystique is still there. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that when we talk about the Monday night game. But nevertheless, it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and then we got to talk my other leap because normally we wouldn't, but I chose the New York Giants to beat the Washington Commanders. What the fuck, Giants? (sighs) Uh, So, fun little thing with this. Saw on Sunday, people were throwing out percentages based on, you know, if this team won, that was, this was their percent chance to make the playoffs. If they lost, their percent chance would drop to this for both teams. Mm-hmm. So, it was like 60-something percent for one, and then it dropped to like 20% if they lost, and then the other one it was like 80% if they won, and then it dropped to 40% if they lost. And both teams decided to say, fuck it, mm-hmm. and they tied. 20 to 20. Danny Dimes, 25 to 31, 200 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Taylor Henneke, uh 27 to 41, two touchdowns, 275 touch or 275 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Danny Dimes also led the Giants in rushing, uh 12 carries, 71 yards, no touchdowns. Brian Robinson Jr., uh 21 carries, 95 96 yards, excuse me, no touchdowns. Uh Terry McLaurin led Washington for receiving eight catches, 105 yards, one touchdown. Darius Slayton led the Giants, uh, six catches, 90 yards, zero touchdowns. Bad loss. Uh, bad, well, bad tie. Tie is basically the same as a loss Christ. in my books. This was a misstep that what the, fuck? the Giants could not afford to take, and they did. This was a complete misstep. Remember, remember how I said the start of the year and throughout the season, Giants needed to get their shit together mm-hmm. and, and and get their ducks in a row come the end of the end of the uh, season because th- all of those backloaded divisional games could come to fuck them over. I'm not saying I was right. No, but, take your victory lap. But no. you know, I'm not saying they're fucked over. But well, it's certainly a stumble on the uh, path to the playoffs. This is as bad of a loss as they can take. And I, like I say, I understand it's a tie. I get it. But this is a lot. Like let's face it, this is a loss. For a team that was really on the cusp of making that turn early with Brian Dabble and the new GM from Buffalo in there, Mm -hmm. the fact that you tied the commanders, had some chances to win, and did not capitalize, this is cause for alarm. Because now you're seven and four and one. Uh huh. The Commanders are 7-5-1, and one, if I'm reading this correctly? Yes, you're correct. Uh, so the Giants are currently in the sixth place in the NFC uh, playoff race. The Commanders are in the eighth seed in the uh, playoff race. So all four teams in the NFC least are now in the playoffs. Yes, they are. Wow, 2022, man. Mm-hmm. Wildest year ever. Mm-hmm. This is now a situation the Giants... I, I'm not going to say this is a season-crushing loss, but you have to it's think it's concerning. It is concerning because you had all the hype and momentum going behind you. Oh, yeah. And now you're facing teams, and especially with that division, how tight that division is. Yeah. You have to go head to head with a lot of them. I mean, let's face it. You also now have lost. Listen, it's a t- technically a tie. It's a loss. Yeah. You, you, let's you, let's you, face you, it. You didn't add a number in the win column. Exactly. You've now, you now lost three in a row. Detroit, Dallas, and Washington. Your last win was against Houston, which was back in mid-November. You know, the only saving grace I would say for the Giants is I'm looking at their schedule. They're they're done with the Dallas games. They mm-hmm. played Dallas the two times, which Dallas we'll get to in a minute. Dallas would run the fuck out of the Giants the fuck out of the building right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, you do still have Washington, another game or Philly, they got two games against Philly. They hadn't even played Philly yet, mind you. Yeah. Philly's got the best damn record in the NFC. Uh they've got two games against Philly and then one against Washington. So this ain't exactly the end of the year. 
you know, you, oh, you got a couple teams that are out of it, you know, oh, so they're not going to play that hard. It's going to be whatever. No, because outside of those games, <clears throat> they've got the uh, Minnesota Vikings who, oh, let's just take a little peek at the standings. Oh, right, they're in the second seed in the NFC right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they've got the Indianapolis Colts, which, I mean, yeah, the Colts are about the only little team with a losing record on that schedule. Yeah. So the Colts ain't going to play any easy. No, they're it's, definitely it's, not. It's Jeff Saturday potentially playing for a full-time head coaching job. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a bit, but it's a situation for the Giants that if you're going to amount to anything this season, you got to start pulling some wins out mm-hmm. and fast. This is the time to hit the panic button. Yeah. I fully yeah. think so. Like This is how bad this game was. For standings and playoffs, and if you want to make a deep run, you had to get this game. You, you can afford a tie early in the season. Because there, sure. there, there's enough time that you can overcome it. it. It might still come back to bite you in the ass, but it's not exactly the death nail. Tying this late in the season is yee. It's not good. Yeah. Tying this late in the season does nothing. Week 13, you can't afford to do that. I'm sorry. You, you just can't. So now you're in a situation where you, you literally almost have to run the table. They have to. You literally have, like, it's, a, and I don't see how you're going to do it against Philly. You're, you're definitely going to split with them. If you're lucky, you split. A sweep. Minor miracle. Good luck. Yeah, but I don't see that happening. The Indianapolis game, that's going to give you more fits than you realize. Indy is a weird team right now, but don't doubt that they're not going to step up for that game. I will tell you right now. Mm -hmm. But this just goes back to show that the Giants might not be the real deal after all. I know I'm going to catch some heat for saying this, but prove me wrong. I mean, hey, listen, you just tied in week 13 against the Commanders. Yeah, the Commanders aren't going to scare anybody. With Taylor Haneke. Yeah. You know, and I'll be honest, Brian Robinson Jr., about the only thing I know about him is he came out to 50 Cent Many Men Wish Death, and I thought that was the fucking coolest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. Considering the story. Yeah, that's a wild, wild way to say I'm back. And, and Terry McLaurin, I'll be honest, until I saw a guy doing a whole, you know, is he is he better on, on YouTube reel or mm-hmm. short thing, I had no fucking clue who this guy was. Yeah, no, Washington doesn't scare you on paper. I'm sorry, they just don't. And the fact that you let them tie you. And you were supposed to be a real deal contender. Oh, yeah. Well, this is our year. We're going to run the table. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, the fact you started out hot, you remind me of those Denver and Seattle teams that, you know, were yeah. out the gate early, and then yeah. look what happened a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. Just saying. But it's definitely something that if you're going to be looking against the other teams in your NFC East, how are you going to match up? Uh-huh. So, like I mentioned, they've got Philly this upcoming Sunday, which, boy, that'll be interesting. Uh, then they've got the Washington Commanders, Minnesota Vikings, Indianapolis Colts, and then the, the Philadelphia Eagles to close out the year. Oh, by the way, they're so they're realistically their playoff lives could be on the line that final week of the season. That game's in Philly. Yeah. So that'll be something. Uh, currently, as we record, the if you're curious, the line for the Philadelphia game this Sunday, which is in um, uh, MetLife, is Philly by seven. That's being very generous right now. Yeah, it is. I'm just going to put that out there. And then on the flip side for the Washington Commanders, uh, they're on a bye week this week, and then they've got the Giants, Niners, Browns, and then Dallas to close out the year. They could legit split that 50-50. They legit could. I don't know if they're going to, but I'm just going to say right now, I'm not doubting if it happens and if they sneak into a decent spot for the playoffs. I mean, more power to them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Washington – I'm sorry, I don't think you should be there, but you're proving me wrong. So, hey, you know, con- doing good. congratulations to you moving forward. Either way, I think whoever comes across the team I'm going to talk about next is going to lose to them outright because I'm going to say a very bold statement. Okay. I think the best team in the NFC is the Dallas Cowboys. Good. Based on their performance on Sunday, 
you got a good argument. Let's talk about it, Pat. Uh, yeah, so the Dallas Cowboys uh, played the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday Night Football, where the Dallas Cowboys won by the final score of 54-19. to Dak Prescott, 20 of 30 for 170 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Matty Ice, uh, Matt Ryan, 21 of 37 for 233 yards passing, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Yep. Jonathan Taylor led Indianapolis for rushing because, of course, he did. 21 carries, 82 yards, no touchdowns. Tony Pollard led Dallas in rushing because, of course, he did. 12 carries, 91 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Alec Pierce led Indianapolis in receiving four catches, 86 yards, one touchdown. C.D. Lamb led Dallas in receiving with five catches, 71 yards, and one touchdown. Should be of note, this game was close until Indianapolis forgot there were four quarters in a football game, and Dallas decided to hang 33 on him in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, the biggest takeaways from this are Indianapolis... Fell flat. Completely fell flat. Their balls were deflated. Yep. The entire oh, vengeance is sweet, isn't it? I went it, there. Uh-huh. I, I know, went there. I I went know there. you did. They legit just had nothing in that fourth quarter. It's like the ball didn't have enough zip on it for him. No, Matt Ryan <laughs> should have checked the PSI. Wow, Pat is going you in. You think I'm better? Oh, I I know you are. I know. I I was had this game circled. Pat has got something to say about this. But let's face it. I mean, Indianapolis. Definitely is not the playoff team we thought they were going to be. They've gone through a lot of changes this offseason. Yeah. Uh, and obviously mid-season hiring Jeff Saturday, who's never coached at the pro level, to take over the team. It was a nice Cinderella story week one, but I think that we're kind of seeing that it's just not working at this level. Matt Ryan, I'm sorry, has fallen off. Mm-hmm. There's no nice way to put it. He is not playing as an elite-level quarterback. He hasn't done it in a while. And in, right now, a lot of the decisions he's making with the ball are just not good. And when you're letting Dallas just pick you apart left and right, and their defense, we don't give enough credit to the Dallas defense with Micah Parsons and this company. This is true. But they have stepped it up lately. Yeah. And they are proving that they're well-balanced on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And especially now that Dallas has a legit two-headed monster in the backfield with Pollard and Elliott. Now that they figure that shit out, yeah. Well, they finally admitted that Pollard is going to take over as the number one. Mm. And I understand, I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit from what the commentators were saying during the game, too. Okay. I understand Ezekiel Elliott still is a big fan base. Sure. And, and teams were, or, te- or fans were chanting for him to get the ball. Sure. Uh, for that final touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter there. Sure. But you have to realize Pollard is now the true number one in the ba- the backfield. Yeah, he is. Oh, like, yeah. And this isn't any slight to Ezekiel Elliott; just he is surpassed. Mm-hmm. This happens in football just every in, time. And, in, and just in terms of what the Dallas offense is catered to, you know, with how they play, Pollard's more beneficial. Yeah, he works. It's, all not, the- it's not saying Ezekiel's a shitty running back and doesn't deserve to play. Just in terms of the way Dallas is playing right now, Pollard's skill set is better. Yeah, Pollard gets the ball moving forward more. It just it, it, this is football, folks. Yeah, it's not a personal. It's not a favorite comp, competition. This is like literally, who is getting the job done? Pollard is the guy that is making this team click right now. I'm sorry if you're an Ezekiel Elliott fan and you're sitting there throwing something right now as I'm saying this. Elliott is still a good running back. Yeah, but he's not the head piece of this offense anymore. Pollard is. Pollard makes more happen. He's buying Dak more time in the backfield, mm-hmm. and especially now that Dak is spreading the ball out more with, let's see, seven receivers now involved with the passing game on Sunday. Yep. yep. That was huge. C.D. Lamb had a great game. Michael Gallup, two touchdowns. Yeah. When you can start 
getting more players involved, it becomes very tough for teams to stop. And Dallas is finally clicking with that notion. It's taken forever. I'm going to admit this. It's wild. But it's true, though. And Pollard is the main reason why. Because so many teams are now focusing on him that now Dak can spread the ball around. Mm -hmm. And they took advantage of every single Indianapolis mistake, and they made a ton in that fourth quarter. A lot of those picks Matt Ryan was throwing, I honestly don't know where he was going with the ball. I'm going to say that right now. I don't now. think Matt Ryan knows where he was going. Well, I think in your situation that you knew that with, what, five minutes left in the game, you still were down by 21, I believe, 24. Something like that, that vicinity. Yeah. Yeah. And you were still trying to press the ball. And I'm sorry, you looked like a team that was fully panicked. And I hate saying this about the Colts, but it's true, though. To be anything considered a, a credible team, you have to show more poise. You didn't. And this completely looked like a mismanaged team that was completely in over their heads, mm-hmm. and they got exposed. Cause, I mean, you take a look at like halftime too. It was only what twenty-one to thirteen. Uh, yes. So Indianapolis was still in that game, but then the fourth quarter, just Matt Ryan could not move the ball forward. Well, and somehow, whether Dallas forgot how to score, or the Indianapolis defense actually did something. Indianapolis scored six points. Dallas had nothing. Yeah. So it was it was real close after that. But then <laughs> Indy forgot there were four quarters. Yeah, because Dallas just took over. And that's a that's a, if you're a Cowboys fan, this is a great sign moving forward mm-hmm. because now you're playing four full quarters. You're looking like a real team that yeah. is good on both sides of the ball, mm-hmm. and especially now clicking at the right time. Like this is the big key. You're in December. You're looking dominant. You're going to get a high seed in the playoffs. Don't oh, yeah. doubt that they're oh, not yeah. in that one-two conversation. I understand with Philly, and depending on how records bounce and such for the next four weeks, they could sneak in at that number one. They could. It's a, There's a legit shot. I mean, currently they are the number five seed uh, because obviously the four positions ahead of them are the division leaders. Yeah, but it's not to say they couldn't sneak in there, though. Yeah, no, that, they could. That's the wild thing to think they about. Could. So Dallas is on the cusp of taking it to an elite level and being the team to beat in the NFC. And in my opinion, they're already there. Like, this game proved, without a shadow of a doubt, how they can take over a game if they get their game plan implemented. Mm -hmm. And doing against Indianapolis, yeah, I know Indianapolis is having a horrible season. But over the past couple weeks, Dallas has looked a lot better than we're giving them a lot of credit for. So that said, if I'm facing Dallas in the playoffs, I got a lot to work on if I'm going to b- beat them. Well, and it's clearly showing for as much as they've been in the Odell Beckham Jr. sweepstakes, you know, they might not need him. And that's especially interesting. You know, their their performance on Sunday is especially interesting given their interest in Odell Beckham Jr. And speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., uh, there was a report that came out today from ESPN's Ed Werder, uh, which, uh, and I'm reading from a, a little post on ESPN.com, says, quote, the Cowboys have concerns after Odell Beckham Jr.'s physical that has uh, that his recovery from a torn left ACL in the Super Bowl has not progressed enough to ensure he would play before mid-January, the source tells ESPN's Ed Werder. There is a possibility that signing Beckham would have no benefit until the 2023 season. Yeah, you don't need him now. No. I'm sorry, you don't. You just hung 33 on a team in the fourth quarter. Which I mean, listen. I know I realized the team only played third quarters, and they needed that fourth quarter to buy themselves a uh, air pump. But yeah. you know, no, they fell flat. <laughs> Get them bad. Get them. They're sagging a little bit. They sacked. Jeez, Pat is showing no mercy about this. But you're right, though. You're absolutely right. The balls were flat, mm-hmm. and 
Dallas has two good wide receivers that can definitely move the chains. Oh, yeah. Lamb and Gallup are a solid one-two punch. They don't need OBJ. I'm sorry. No. OBJ at this stage is not going to take a team over the top. I don't even care if Buffalo signs him. That's not a piece that anybody really needs in the playoffs mm. at this stage. Like, what is one team that desperately needs a wide receiver? And you start taking a look at those elite teams. Yeah. Philly doesn't need one. No. Dallas doesn't need one. Minnesota sure as hell doesn't need one. I mean, Baltimore, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, because I'm, I'm just looking at the playoffs things. Buffalo doesn't need him. Kansas City doesn't really need him. Can you imagine going up with fucking Patty Mahomes? Holy fuck. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore, it wouldn't hurt. Tennessee, wouldn't hurt. Uh, Cincinnati, don't really need him. Miami, don't really need him. The Jets, well, duh. Uh, the Patriots, wouldn't shit it wouldn't hurt it wouldn't hurt it wouldn't but. hurt they've got some decent receivers but shit it wouldn't hurt and then you look at the nfc uh philly don't need him minnesota sure as shit don't need him san francisco doesn't really need him tampa bay no dallas no giants wouldn't hurt yeah no giants giants make the most sense to me baltimore has never really relied on a, a wide receiver of his caliber no, but they don't exactly have anybody to throw to that isn't mark andrews oh i agree with you there but that's just that's not their running or their offensive style they're more of a run first team anyway so yeah, yeah. so that said obj could best be suited there for, for dallas you don't need him dallas you're looking very very good moving forward mm-hmm. and uh, speaking of looking forward they've got the houston texans this upcoming sunday then they've got the jacksonville jaguars philadelphia eagles tennessee titans and then the washington commanders to close out the regular season and then for the indianapolis colts who are still in the market for an air pump uh they've got a bye week in week 14 uh they've got the minnesota vikings week 15 uh, then they've got the Los Angeles Chargers on Monday Night Football in Week 16, the New York Giants in Week 17, and then they close out against the Houston Texans in Week 18, where hopefully by that point they've picked up an air pump that is on uh, sale from the post-Christmas wow. sale. Pad shows no mercy. Fuck them. Wow. That's almost Houston-level hatred. It's close. Yeah, I was going to say, it's up there. So let's shift gears. We mentioned this team obviously not needing a wide receiver, but this team has definitely made some noise. Albeit, though, mm-hmm. I'm going to say another maybe controversial take. Oh, I think Minnesota is overrated as as all can be being ten and two. I agree. I'm saying because after seeing how they played against the Jets this week, mm-hmm. oh, I got some questions. Oh, I'll, I'll, we get through this. I'll give you the spoiler on how to stop Minnesota. Uh, but Minnesota won by the final score of 27-22. and 22. Uh, Kirk Cousins, 21-35 for 173 yards rushing. Or passing, excuse me. Uh, one touchdown, no interceptions. Mike White, 31-57 uh, of 57 for 369 yards. No touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Zonovan Knight led New York with rushing 15 carries, 90 yards, no touchdowns. Dalvin Cook led Minnesota with tw- uh, 20 carries, 86 yards, no uh, one touchdown. Garrett Wilson led New York with uh, receiving eight catches, 162 yards, no touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, seven catches, 45 yards, and one touchdown for Minnesota. So the takeaways from this are the Vikings struggle to close Mm -hmm. completely. Kirk Cousins is not at that level to get this team over the hump. Yep. I'm sorry. He's got arguably the best wide receiver duo in the NFL. Pretty much. Arguably. It's in that conversation. It's in the conversation at least. And the fact that you almost blew this game to the Jets twice showed that there are some issues on the offensive side of the ball. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to say with that wide receiver duo, but there is. And it all goes back to Cousins. Yeah. He's the head of the offense. He's got to take the heat for it. But the defense, though, 
looked very, very shaky. Mm-hmm. And especially for a Mike White-led team, for him to drop 369 on you, and especially in that fourth quarter, not only had one chance to close, but two is alarming. Yeah. Because you were the number one seed going in, or the number two, I should say. Yep. You've only lost two games. Yep. And yet you struggled against a team that doesn't have their starting quarterback in. Because, mm-hmm. well, Zach Wilson is, you know, already forgotten. Because reasons. Reasons. And you take a look at Mike White, who is coming in, who is a very serviceable quarterback, but he made it look like he was competing with you on that level. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was moving the ball, especially late, and I wish he went back to Corey Davis more, he would have had this game locked up. Yeah. For whatever reason, he didn't. I'm not going to frown on him because he was pressing himself too much. If he just slowed down just a second mm-hmm. on either one of those two drives, they would have been fine. Yeah. They would have been fine and they would have won this game, which would have been the biggest crazy conspiracy theory upset in recent memory because for the Vikings, they're not getting a lot of favoritism on the Vegas line. No. I mean, they're, not, they're, they're flashy, but they're not that good. No. Because you want to know how you stop them? Shut down Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And you're good. I, listen, I watched that Patriots-Vikings uh, game on, on Thanksgiving for all I could stomach it up until up until the very end. Justin Jefferson torched the shit out of us. If you take Justin Jefferson out of it, it's a whole different story. You take Justin Jefferson out of a lot of these games because he's the leading receiver in almost every game uh, he's played in. There was a couple of games he's not the leading receiver because he wasn't. He didn't play the game against Philly week two, mm-hmm. uh, the game against Detroit week three. But, you know, the other games, you know, he's he's let in. But, you know, like I said, you want to you beat him? Shut down Justin Jefferson. Double cover him. Shit. Triple cover him. Yeah. Force Kirk Cousins to beat you with Adam Thielen. Or whoever you know, they're they're tight on the, the uh, Hawkinson. Hawkinson there is shit. You got Dalvin Cook, who like a season or two ago put up an ungodly amount of fantasy points because he ran all over the goddamn field. I know I had him on fantasy. I loved it that day. Yeah, forced Dalvin Cook to beat you, but right now they're a one trick pony. Yeah, shit, Justin Jefferson's down there someplace. Take a look at this perspective. Looking at the stat line, so twenty one receptions by the wide receivers. Seven of which went to Justin Jefferson. Everybody else was sprinkled one and two with the exception of TJ Hawkinson. Yep. What does that tell you? Uh, thirty, And also we should note, 33 targets for all of the receivers that got a stat on uh, Sunday. 11 of them went to Justin Jefferson, so about half. Yeah. So, so Pat, Pat hits it right there. Shut down Justin Jefferson. You shut down the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Also should note, looking at the stats, because there is the points, total points for and total points against, uh, yet again, hey, at least they're in the positives. But in terms of a differential between the points for and the points against, Minnesota, plus 10. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got the other division leaders, which Buffalo, plus 124. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, plus 49. Uh, you've actually got the Tennessee Titans who are negative, but hey, that whole division sucks. Uh, you've got the Kansas City Chiefs, which are a plus 80. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, plus 112. Uh, you've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, minus two. But, hey, like much like the AFC South, the NFC South is fucking hot garbage. And then you've got the San Francisco 49ers, plus 92. Yeah, it's a telling stat. And it's something that for Minnesota, I don't know if you can fix this this late in the season. Nope. I really don't think you can. I think you're relying too much on, on Justin Jefferson. And, sure, you're getting wins. But your defense is not holding you in. See, this no. is like this is very different than with Las Vegas and uh, Carr and Devontae Adams. Sure, sure. Because 
Vegas is smart enough. They're getting the ball out to everybody they can. Right. But still, Devontae Adams, he can take over a game. Justin Jefferson is taking over games, but not when your defense is allowing teams to come right back down the field on you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a difference when you have to have a stand by your defense and it's not happening. And sure, I mean, did they hold him off a little bit in the fourth quarter? Yeah. But the fact it was that close, going late. You're, you're a 10-2 team. You should be. You should have blown Minnesota out by two, three scores. Or the Jets, you mean? Yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. No, they, Minnesota should have blown out the Jets by two, three scores. But the fact that it's the Jets, who, I'm sorry, Mike White, not exactly scaring me. No. You know, you look at their running their running backs. It's not even Knight who I mentioned. Elijah Moore, James Robinson, Mike White himself, Ty Johnson. Any of those guys scaring you if you're a defensive coordinator? No. Not me. Like, I understand Brees Hall's out, but still, that's that's a different right. story. You know, and then uh, receiving court, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's about the only person who scares me, and that's because he put up 162 on Sunday. Past that, Corey Davis? Eh, not really. I mean, he you got to give him a couple looks, and you got to you got to pay attention to him, but not anything that's like shit your pants on. No, but he was torching that defense late. Yeah. Like the fact that they went away from him, I like. I thought that was something Mike White made a mistake with. But then you got Ty Johnson, C.J. Uzma, Zonovan Knight, Braxton Berrios, Tyler Conklin, Elijah Moore, and Denzel Mims. Like these are not exactly household names outside of the New York metropolitan area. No, you know. So the fact that the Jets. With a backup that is like seemingly lightning in a pan mm-hmm. or lightning in a bottle, kept it this close to you? Concerning. Yeah, no, very concerning, especially because they're not supposed to be doing what they're doing, and they could sneak by this. The one thing that's keeping them in games is their defense. Yeah. And their defense played very well, considering. Well, You're, and their kicker, fucking Greg Zerlin, five, oh. five of five on Sunday field goals. Yeah, ridiculous amount of like he's His got. His fucking longest was 60. Yeah. God damn. No, he was doing everything he could to win the, that game for him, but this offense needed um, production late. And Mike White not being in that situation that often, I mean, it came back to haunt him. He was pressing in that final drive. And that interception late, I mean, it was a situation where he was really trying to force the ball in somewhere mm-hmm. that just it didn't go through his way. So, I mean, yeah. there's nothing you can do about that. It's a growing pain, but like I say, if he gets enough time to work with this offense, I think they could actually be very serviceable. Could be. I legit do. Could be. But looking at who they got coming up. Yeah, so the Vikings have the Detroit Lions this upcoming Sunday, and then they've got the Indianapolis Colts, uh, and then they got the New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, and then the Chicago Bears to close out the year. And for the New York Jets, uh, let me pull up their schedule here. Buffalo. Yeah, that, that, that game is scheduled in there. Uh, they've got the Buffalo Bills this upcoming Sunday. Then they've got the Detroit Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars, Seattle Seahawks, and then the Miami Dolphins. Two out of those five games are an easy stretch, so they could mm-hmm. definitely pull some stuff out. I will say this. The most alarming stat to kind of back up our argument about Minnesota being overrated. Yeah. Detroit opened at a plus or a minus one and a half. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. For as bad as Detroit has been on paper. Wow. Yeah. So wow. Minnesota fans prove us wrong yeah really hashtag odph pod that being said let's take a quick lap around the league and wrap this up pad uh, there was a game on thursday it happened no need to dwell on that <laughs> no the patriot or the bills beat the patriots 24 to 10 listen i knew the game was going to go that way i didn't even watch yeah same here we'll i, did, see I didn't even watch uh not much to say about that because hey it was what we thought it'd be bills look good i mean the offense got clicking as they needed to uh, all i gotta say fire matt patricia yep uh then you look at the sunday games you had the pittsburgh steelers beat the atlanta falcons 19 to 16 although hey sh- uh terrible game for atlanta 
Shout out to whoever was in charge of like the in-game uh, video work. It was, I guess, it was like '90s day or something at the at the Mercedes Benz. Something Dome. like that, yeah. Mercedes Benz Dome. They did a whole preview for the game using NFL Blitz. Fucking loved it. Yeah, that was amazing. That's the only highlight from this game, really, to be honest with Pretty you. Pretty much. Uh, you had the uh, Green Bay Packers beat the Chicago Bears twenty-eight to nineteen. Although, let's face it, this was inevitable uh, because Aaron Rodgers fucking owns the Bears. Yeah, no, no matter how how bad the Packers are. As long as Aaron Rodgers is on the field, it's going to be a long day. Allegedly, for they're going to change the name of the field to Aaron Rodgers Field. I don't blame him at this Allegedly. stage. I don't blame him. Uh, you had the Detroit Lions paying 40 on the Jacksonville Jaguars, winning 40-14. to 14. The offense of the Lions is the most underrated thing in all of football right now. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, their defense doesn't show up, and they're just too injury-plagued. Otherwise, this, this team true. this team could have been the number one seed. I'm not going to lie to you. This is true. Uh, you had the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Tennessee Titans by the final score of 35 to 10. Hey, Mike Vrabel, how'd that whole let's stop them early thing work out for you? Yeah, the GM, I believe, was fired, too, from yes, Tennessee this week. So yes, he was. Long day, but Philly did what number one teams do. Mm-hmm. They won, and they won big. Uh, you had the Baltimore Ravens beat the Denver Broncos by the final score of 10 to 9. Game was hot garbage. Although, got to know uh, Lamar Jackson out one to three in one to three weeks. Yeah, the minute he went down, you knew it was going to be a long day. But Buffalo, or I'm sorry, Baltimore snuck it out. Yeah, uh, you had the uh, oh boy, the Cleveland Browns beat the te- the Houston Texans by the final score of 27 to 14. Yeah, Deshaun Watson made his return to the NFL from his offseason antics. Yes, thank you. Uh, and he looked very very bad. It went about the way we thought it would because yeah. I think. Uh, I don't know if it was exactly 700, but I know they said it was on first take. They said it was 700 days since his last game. We knew that he wouldn't be great. You know, so he uh, 12 of 22, 131 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. That was about it. Listen, 131 yards with, I was kind of astounded with because I figured it'd be less than that. Yeah. You know, but hey, he does have a pretty decent uh, receiving core up there in uh, Cleveland. But for in terms of performance and how he did stat wise, about how I thought it'd be. Yeah. If I'm Cleveland, though, and I, I gave him all that money. I'd be very, very sick right now. Yeah. Uh, and then you had the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Kansas City Chiefs by a final score of 27-24. to 24. Great game. Really great game. Cincinnati is coming on fire at the right time. Patty Mahomes hates playing in Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, He's like 0-3 or something against Cincinnati. Yep, in the past two years. Yeah. Cincinnati just knows how to do it, and they win gritty, too. Like, this is a true heavyweight bout. And I tell you what, if I'm a team in the AFC, I am scared to see Cincinnati clicking back because how bad they started out with that Super Bowl hangover. Yeah, yeah. They're looking good, and Jamar Chase is returning. Jamar Chase is back, yeah. That's huge. Uh, you had the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Los Angeles Chargers by the final score of 27-20. to 20. Pat, do me a favor. Call sure. up the Raiders' schedule and how many wins have they put together now because after being written off for dead, they are now slowly but surely rising up, and they're coming back. And this team is finally looking like the team we thought we were going to see from them. Uh, this was their third win in a row. So after losing three in a row to the Saints, Jaguars, and Colts in weeks eight, nine, and ten, respectively, uh, they beat the Denver Broncos by the final score of twenty-two to sixteen in overtime. Beat the Seattle Seahawks by the final score of forty to thirty-four in overtime and helped me win my fantasy game in overtime, might I say? Yes. Uh, and then they beat the Las Vegas or Los Angeles uh, Chargers twenty-seven to twenty. Yeah, so I don't think they're going to sneak into the playoffs, but I think for everybody that was writing them off for dead, the Raiders are still hanging on, and they're finally starting to get that offense moving in the right direction. Josh Jacobs with another huge game, mm-hmm. 144 yards on the ground. Devontae Adams, 177 yards in the air, two touchdowns. Yeah, Like I say, the Raiders, when they can get clicking, are going to be scary. 
it's taken a while, and like I said, I don't know if they can sneak in that last spot. Like you said, they were at number 10 spot. Yeah. So they would need a lot of luck, but it's not unheard of. So they it's can possible. Or the Chargers are the number 10 spot. I thought either either way. Charger, well, Chargers are in the number 9 spot, okay. and then the, the, Raid, the Raiders are right behind them. Yeah, so if the Raiders can just keep pulling it together, they could sneak in there. And like I say, they would be a team I would worry about in the playoffs. Because they're in there with house money, mm-hmm. it's not going to matter. The Chargers, I don't even care. Like if they get in there, it's not going to matter. They're going to no. fold. They're going to find a way to fold. It doesn't matter how talented this team is; they find ways to do this. This is true. And then, lastly, and certainly not leastly, you had the Monday night game where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the New Orleans Saints seventeen to sixteen. Tom Brady doing Tom Brady things. Tom Brady throwing a pass to some dude named White for the game-winning touchdown. Where have I seen that? Oh before? my God! Yeah, this was vintage Brady. I caught the last two minutes, and they gave him way too much time. And Brady did what Brady does. Mm-hmm. Even when the ball got held back for a holding call, yep. he still led them down the field and scored a touchdown. I'm sorry. Those of you who wrote off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at like halftime of this game or whatever the hell time it was. Yeah. And, and believe me, I saw you. You had every time, every right to. There were people who did. Mm-hmm. Have you not seen this before? Yeah. You do not write this man off until the clock reads triple zeros. Yeah. I don't care that he's 84 years old. He's still going out there and doing things. 124. Seriously. He's finding ways to do it. It's scary, and, you know, maybe, just maybe, they're going to find a way to make some magic happen in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I just don't think they can Doubt hang. Doubt it. I just don't think they can hang with Dallas or Philly. Like, that's oh, my no. that's my litmus test for the NFC East, or NFC division, rather. Whoever comes out of the NFC East at the number one spot, I think, takes that whole league. Probably. I, I do. I think they take the whole division. because well, right now, Tampa Bay is the number four seed. Who who do they play in the playoffs? When next is, would it be the five? Yeah. Oh, fuck. It'd be Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, no. If, if Tampa Bay's playing Dallas, nope. Yeah, that would be the... Thanks for playing. Might be the earliest exit Brady's had in his playoff career. Or no, actually, no, because the first two teams have this, have the buys. So they would face... So what would they face? Eight or seven? Seven, I think. So they'd face Seattle. That would still be a tough talent. Yeah. Either way, if they got face Dallas first round, they're done. Seattle... I'm telling you, if they face Dallas wildcard wild card weekend... That could be Brady's earliest exit. Yeah, I believe so, too. The whole new playoff system throws me off, but that's why I'm still going to be watching the games, and I hope Buffalo gets the number one seed so I don't have to pay attention to all that math. In the meantime, though, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Week 13 of the NFL? How is your team looking? Are they going to the playoffs? Are they buying tickets for the games? What are they doing? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all. I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom. From movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And a quick clarification with the NFL playoff system as it is now, only the number one seeds would get the bye. So that means the number four seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if the season ended today, would in fact face the number five seed in the Dallas Cowboys. So, Pad, you were correct about that. Thanks for coming, Tampa Bay. Drive home safely. Exactly. It's weird, though, with the new setup. Because, like I say, it's so weird thinking that they have so many teams in the playoffs. It's almost like hockey-esque. Kind of. Like, it's just crazy how it is. But I'll tell you one sport that doesn't have that problem, and that's the UFC. This is true. 
And this week is a very, very slept-on card, dare we say. It's UFC 282, so let's get the breakdown of it, Pat. Yeah, so uh, taking place this Saturday is UFC 282 coming to you live from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, you have in the We're going to look at the main event, or not the main event, the main card. Uh, you In the first fight you have taking place in the main card is in the featherweight division between Bryce Mitchell, and we're just going to get this out of the way, folks. I'm going to butcher a lot of names on this card. Uh, the you got Bryce Mitchell taking on Ilya Tup, uh, Topuria. Topuria. This is a great, great fight for the featherweight class. Like I say, with Bryce Mitchell coming back, he is a fighter to watch and see what he can do in that division. Like he's somebody that was on a tear, had a very bad injury, it took some time off, and then is, is back. And he's looked better than ever. Just like I say, his jujitsu is just on par with anybody else you want to throw against him. And he will definitely make some noise in that cage. And he's somebody that can definitely bring that star power that we haven't seen in a while right, to the forefront. So that's a huge thing for a division. Like I say, when you're taking, we're talking about rankings and where he finishes. He definitely can make some noise. And obviously with Tupriya too. That is a very, very slept-on fight. Yeah, so this is the number 8-ranked fighter in Bryce Mitchell taking on the number 14-ranked fighter in uh, Topuria. Yes. So this one, man, I'm expecting this to be a great way to kick off the main card because, like I say, Rosenstruck and Dukakis is playing, is kicking or finishing off the prelims. Yep. That's going to be a solid one. So, like, there's a great lead-in to this fight, but I'm going to tell you right now, I like Bryce Mitchell in this big. Well, and something's got to give here because I'm looking at the record for both individuals. Bryce Mitchell, 15 professional matches, 15 rub wins, no losses. Uh, Topuria, in 12 professional matches, 12 wins, no losses. Someone's about to get a blemish on their record, folks. Yeah, so I'm just going to say this. I Like I say, I'm going to take Mitchell second-round submission. Okay. Just because he is going to do something wild and crazy in that ring probably and then he's gonna get on the microphone and even do something wilder and crazier and i like seeing that kind of chaos in the cage because the ufc is so desperate for stars that this is one that just goes right into the wheelhouse of what they're trying to build right because he'll generate some buzz and then i would say this if he could ever make that cut up to 135 i'd love to see him and sean o'malley go at it okay the the amount of just wild trash talk that comes out of them would be something ridiculous. But for the featherweight division, they they, uh, they need this one big. Next up is in the middleweight division. We've got Darren Till taking on uh, Driscus Duplessis. So Darren Till, I mean, at one point was one of the rising stars of the middleweight division. Uh, has kind of, I don't want to say kind of exposed a bit, but let's mm-hmm. face it. I mean, it's almost coming off. It's falling off a little bit. You know that you can definitely take him. I mean, taking a look at his record, it's, it's kind of one of those situations where he came in with all the hype, and then it's just never materialized. It's the story that we always hear a lot. It just yeah. it just doesn't pan out. Yeah. So this fight against Duplessis, uh, two losses for Duplessis. Mm-hmm. That's a solid one to you know a record not to sneeze at. But man, I don't know. I, I'm going to say I'm going to flip the coin on this one. I'm going to say Till might sneak this one out. Yes, yeah, so looking at the rankings, this is a uh, match between the number ten ranked in Darren Till and then the number fourteen ranked in uh, Duplessis. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, Dupreesus, uh in uh, 19 professional matches has a record of 17 and two. Currently on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak. Uh, 
uh, winning by TKO, submission, knockout, knockout, and decision. His last loss was to uh, was outside the UFC, uh, some other federation, back in October of 2018. Prior to that, his only other loss was in another uh, federation in South Africa, interestingly, hmm. uh, where it was in August of 2014. So the man apparently loses once every four years, so... Maybe he's due. You never know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We shall see. Darren Till, on the other hand, 23 professional matches, 18 wins, four losses, one draw. Currently on a two-fight losing streak. Lost in his last fight to Derek Brunson via rear naked choke submission. And then the fight prior to that, lost to Robert Whitaker via unanimous decision. Uh, His last win was against Kelvin Gastelum uh, via split decision at UFC 244. That was in November of 2019. Yeah, so this is going to be definitely an interesting time for Darren Till. Like I say, I think uh, him making the move to middleweight, I think, is going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just the place is, I just there's no like real factor in this that I'm thinking like, okay, he's going to pull this off. The only thing Till has just got to do is keep this standing. If he keeps this standing, he's got a great chance to win. If this goes to the ground, it's going to be a short night. Right. But I'm going to take Till just for reasons, and I think he's going to wind up getting a very ugly decision in this. I'm going to say Depreces. Okay. Uh, next is a catchweight fight, interestingly, uh, at 180 pounds uh, between Alex uh, Morano and Santiago uh, Bivo. Okay, so we have to give some clarification for this. Porzambino uh, was supposed to face Robbie Lawler. Ooh. And Robbie got pulled from the fight with an undisclosed injury ooh. just a few days ago. So gotcha. this is a short weight or short catchweight. Uh, so applaud to Moreno for stepping up because uh, Santiago is no joke. Uh, this is going to be a very, very big challenge for him. Uh, I'm going to take Santiago just because of the short notice, but I think Moreno is going to give him a lot to to mess with. Yeah. And I think that this could go into that second, third round territory, but I do think Santiago ultimately gets to win via TK strikes. Uh, so looking at the records, you have uh, Alex Morano in 30 professional matches, has a record of 22 wins, 7 losses, 1 uh, no contest. Currently on a 1, 2, 3, 4 fight win streak, beat Matthew uh, Slemberger. Uh, via a unanimous decision that was back in July. Uh, Mickey Gall, he beat by unanimous decision that was back in December of last year. Uh, he beat David uh, Zwada via unanimous decision that was back in September of last year. And then he beat Donald Cerrone via TKO on May of, of last year. His last loss was to Anthony Pettis uh, via unanimous decision that was in December of 2020. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, you've got Santiago, who is in 34 professional matches, has a record of, good lord, 28 wins, 6 losses, currently on a 2-fight losing streak, losing to Michael Pereira via a split decision uh, that was back in May, and then lost to Jeff Neal via split decision that was back in December of last year. Last win was against Miguel uh, Beza, that was via unanimous decision, that was in June of last year. Yeah, so, I mean, Santiago's had a lot of tread on the tires. Yeah. And it's no slight against him. This is going to be a very solid fight. I'm not super excited about it, but I'm not exactly hating on this either because, obviously, Robbie Lawler would have been more fitting to Santiago because they would just stand and bang. Yeah. Like, that's all they would have done. No life, this, right. Yeah, this would have been Robbie's last fight, and he would have gone on the sunset. I think he's going to come back for one more and then call it a day. Probably. Which, listen, no shame in that. Robbie Lawler is a legend in the sport. Take a look at that fight with Rory McDonald and tell me otherwise. I dare you. So this one, though, like I said, I'm taking Santiago. I think this is going to go third round. I think this is going to be a TK uh, stoppage, possibly, if not a unanimous decision. I think just Moreno is very solid, but but there's no wow factor. And sometimes that catch weight will come back to haunt him a little bit. But I applaud him for stepping up. So listen, I'm just excited to see a good fight out of this one. 
Next up, though. Is in the co-main event of the evening, and that is in the lightweight division between Patty Pimblett uh, taking on Jared Gordon. So, in case you're not familiar... Patty the Batty. Patty the Batty is the new superstar in the UFC. Got a Rolex from Drake. Yep. He is definitely filled in the Conor McGregor spot. Mm-hmm. And he is definitely a guy you want to keep an eye on. Dollar store Conor McGregor, my ass. Exactly. Listen, I love you, I'm Jeff, but in this instance, you are wrong, sir. No, he is 1,000% wrong. Patty has been putting on show after show after show. His off-cage antics have been that of legend. He's one of the most personable fighters I think I've ever seen of all time. Yeah. Because what was it? His first like big fight that like gained him notoriety in the UFC couple what, fights ago, whatever it was, where he won the fight, and then I think it was the one against uh, Rodrigo Vargas in, in London uh, back in March, where he won the fight, and then afterwards was doing the press conference while eating like a freaking thing of pizza like not just a slice but like a whole damn pizza mm-hmm. and they were like and then somebody was asking him about his routine between fights and he's like listen i see all these guys you know who like to stay cut and be a f- fight weight anytime and whatever and that's fine for them that's fine he's like me i like to eat i like to do whatever yeah i'm like i love this dude oh yeah he's great i will say this i i will co-sign on him and uh whenever he's paired up with uh meatball molly mccann oh yeah like they're great like, I, I like seeing their interactions when when they go. Because, I mean, that's just a true team. Like, you know that they're definitely supporting each other and just really, like, that whole camp that he comes from is just very supportive. So I like seeing that. I do say, though, one thing I don't like is he's not a fan of the Ric Flair woo. Oh, okay. I, I saw that he said that in a press conference once. He's like, okay. he really hates that, which I'm like, how do you hate the Ric Flair woo? But I digress. Him in the cage, though, is electric. I will say this. and The UFC is really banking on him to – become the next big thing in that divi- in their sport, this is going to be a true test for him. Gordon is not a slouch by any means, but for Patty to ascend to that next level, and then you think about how big of a jump this would be for him, and especially in the deepest division mm-hmm. of all the UFC, because I know, Pat, you're going to call up the rankings for the lightweight division, and seeing where Patty fits in, because obviously this is a who's who of contenders, and he has just risen up so much that even if he's not ranked, because honestly... Which he's not. No, he's not. But you think about how meteoric his rise is here. Uh-huh. This is what Sean O'Malley should be. Yeah. In the sense of, like, Patty is coming in and he's put on performance of the night a few times already. Right. This is a chance where he can do this again because he's that electric in the cage. Mm-hmm. If he gets a win here... I don't doubt him getting bumped into the top ten. Do I think he goes top five? No. No, he he can he can crack the top ten though. You know, or even the you know the you know anywhere from eleven through fifteen. Because looking at the rankings, you got Islam Machekov is your number one uh, is your champion. Mm-hmm. Charles Oliveira, the number one ranked fighter. Dustin Poirier, number two. Justin Gaethje, number three. Uh, number four, Benil Darush. Number five is Michael Chandler. Number six is Rafael uh, Fizev. Uh, seven is Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, then you've got number eight is uh, Matsuts uh, Gamrot. Uh, number nine is Arman uh, Sarukin. Uh, number 10 is uh, Jalen Turner. Number 11 is uh, Dan Hooker. Number 12 is uh, Demir uh, Ismagulov. Uh, number 13 is Renato Moincano. Number 14 is Con- some dude named Conor McGregor. Might have heard of him. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then number 15 is Tony Ferguson. Yeah. Which we should note, Conor McGregor is still not in USADA testing. 
Yeah. In case you think he's making a comeback anytime yeah, I'm soon. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath for that one. I'm sorry, like... I know, I know there are people who think he is, and hey, fine. Just know that he is not in USADA testing as of this recording. It's a weird thing with Connor. Just, you know, the diehards for him just refuse oh, to fine. give up the... Yeah. He's going to come back and be the Connor of old. And like, listen, if that's your guy, by all means, be a fan. I'm just realistic about things with yeah, this. Yeah, And I will say this. Patty is going to win this one. It's wild to me that, like... Because you know, I read through one through fifteen. Also, not mentioned is his opponent Jared Gordon. Yeah. So you've got two unranked guys in the lightweight division co-maining a numbered pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. This just speaks volumes as to how meteoric, like you said, from how meteoric Patty's rise has been, and just how good he's been. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing that UFC knows he's going to draw people in because he's that charismatic, and you can't deny it. Like if you've seen him in anything outside of the cage, oh my god, he's so fantastic. Good. Even when he went up to the one neighbor and mentioned that, it, oh uh, yeah, Pat, Patty's dog uh, took a number two. He didn't have a bag to clean it on. Yeah, he was apologizing yeah. for it. I mean, he's he comes off very endearing to the to the fans, and if you have somebody like that that's very humble but very you know out, outrageous in his own right, he can talk a big game, but he knows when to put it in check. Yeah, exactly. So this is something the UFC can definitely get behind. Yeah. The only questions I would have is, okay, you're in the big spotlight. Is this yep. going to affect you? Yep. I know he does a crazy weight cut, too. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, if I've, memory serves me right, like he does a very big weight cut. I, I can't give you the exact number, but it's it's – it's almost it feels like around two classes. Like he cuts down. Like Ooh. it's some kind of wild thing. Allegedly, I'm gonna say like allegedly. Rumor, allegedly, I'm gonna say that. So don't don't quote me just yet. But I've heard it's it's an insane cut wow. wherever he gets down. So like that's almost like when um, the late Rumble Johnson used to cut down to oh, 170, yeah. Yeah. and he'd be walking around at like Jesus. 220. Jesus, yeah. like around that around that frame. <laughs> then so. he'd put most of it back on the night before. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But I mean Patty is somebody that to get down to one fifty five, I gotta imagine he's walking around around one ninety. Probably. Easy. Just cut out the pizza, he'll be good. Yeah, just because he doesn't he does not cut down on the diet until his weight cuts No, down. he doesn't no he doesn't. He's he's very open about that. Yeah. Uh looking at his record in twenty two professional matches, he has a record of nineteen wins, three losses, currently on a one, two, three, four, five fight win streak. Uh beating Jordan Levitt in his last fight via rear naked choke submission, beating Rodrigo Vargas via rear naked choke submission. Beating uh, Luigi uh, Vernamini uh, via t- uh, knockout, uh, and then submitting uh, his opponent before that, and this was Cage Warriors 132 via rear naked choke submission, and then the fight before that uh, via TKO punches. His last loss was in Cage Warriors 96 uh, to a gentleman by the name of Soren Bach, uh, S-O-R-E-N-B-A-K, uh, via unanimous decision. That was on the 1st of September 2018. Yeah. Uh, and then on the flip side, uh, Jared Gordon in 24 professional matches, 19 wins, five losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, uh, beating his opponent, Leonardo Santos, in his last fight via unanimous decision. That was back in August, and then lost his fight prior to that. Uh, Grant Dawson via rear naked choke submission. That was back in April of this year. So that said, I am taking Patty. I think that he's going to have a second-round t- er, uh, submission. I can see another rear naked choke. Yeah, with yeah, this. I think it's going to be third round uh, rear naked choke. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think just Patty is going to get in there. And then, like I say, he's cracking the top 10. I, I think what will happen is the first round will be a little feeling out period. There will be some spars and some he'll get close in the th- in the second. It'll be like, you know, the last 30 seconds or something. He'll almost get it and then he'll get it in the third. Yeah. And that's something that the UFC is desperately banking on. And I think they're going to get it because he's just that charismatic. Like, he, yeah. will, he will do this. Albeit, though, I believe that he's going to be sparring with Jake Paul, allegedly, after this. Supposedly, that's what the two have a verbal agreement on, whether anything's been written up. Uh, and, and allegedly, it's going to be like the next day. 
Yeah, Patty's no joke about this. That's why I say, like, you can't help but get behind him because even as outlandish as some of the stuff he says, he backs mm-hmm. it up, and he's just that much of a personable fighter that he's connecting to. It's almost like in a weird sense of like how well you think about like the Diaz brothers have connected, yeah. and you think about how like Connor in his early stages connected with everybody, right? Patty has that certain X factor that the UFC is desperately craving. Mm-hmm. And for him to get a big profile win, and especially going to dry, dry, draw some buy rates here, mm-hmm. this is huge. Oh, yeah. So, like I said, Patty's definitely taking this one, win, lose, or draw. Yep. And then the next is the main event of the evening for the now vacant light heavyweight uh, UFC championship, uh, which, why is that light heavyweight title vacant again? I'm blanking. Because Yuri, uh, the champion, yep. Prochakov, Tore his shoulder. Oh, that's right. And he's out an extended. That's right. It's a severe shoulder injury. That is how it's that's being worded. Right. Okay. So instead of holding up the division, he did the right thing, and I applaud him. I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Because he said, I'll come back and I'll fight when I'm ready. I'm not going to hold up the division. Which we all like. Yes. Love this. So the fact that we had to do some shuffling of the deck, it's now Jan Blahovitz against Magdov and Lenkov. Mm-hmm. And for the light heavyweight title. And I'm all for it. Yeah, this this is all for it. I know some people are complaining about Glover Teixeira should have got the rematch. Mm. He did not want to face Magnov. Okay. Um, he wanted more time to train for him. Okay. And the UFC, could, and they couldn't do it because obviously it's a pay-per-view. You got yeah. to do something for it. So yeah, yeah. not to say that the winner of this won't fight Glover next because I could see that you, happening. You could see it. But this being said, this is a very, very intriguing fight. Yes. Uh, so looking at the records, Jan Blahovitz in 38 professional matches has a record of 29 wins, 9 losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating uh, Alexander Rakic, uh, Rakic uh, via TKO, although that was a knee injury in his last fight. That was back in May. Uh, lost to Glover Teixeira the fight prior to that. That was a rear naked choke submission. That was back in October of last year. Prior to that was on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5-fight winning streak. Uh, and then on the flip side, you've got uh, Magomed Ankalev, uh, who in 19 professional, Jesus Christ, 19 professional matches has a record of 18 wins, one loss. Uh, that lone loss coming in his UFC debut, which was back in March 17th of 2018, where Paul Craig beat him by a triangle choke submission. Since then, he has knocked out uh, Marcin uh, Prechano with a head kick and punches knockout. Uh, unanimous decision win against Kitson Abreu. Uh, front kick and punch uh, win, uh, knockout win against uh, Dolce uh, L-U-N-G-I-A-M-B-U-L-A. Uh, then he knocked out, uh, TKO'd uh, Ian uh, Kutala. Did it again uh, the following fight. Fought him two times in a row. Knocked him out. Uh, unanimous decision win against Nikita uh, Krylov. Volkan Oldsmedier, and then Tiago Santos. And then his last fight was against Anthony Smith, who, oh, by the way, he knocked his ass out, too. Yeah. Jesus. Magnov is on a nine-fight win streak, and I think he's going to go into double digits. God, yeah. God damn, just looking at some of those. This ain't exactly like, oh, decision win, split decision win, oh, submission. Like, no, motherfucker's knocking people out. He's got zero submission wins. Yeah. He is the real deal. God damn. Like, if you haven't seen a fight, he is no joke. So that said, Blahovitz, being the former champion, comes in with that mentality of defending the title. And obviously, he is somebody that's on the back end of the career, age-wise, father uh-huh. time. So no disrespect to him. But I think this is all Magnov. Yeah. I, I really do. I think that this is going to be 
Not necessarily a short night, but I could see this going ending in strikes via the third round. Uh-huh. I, I think Magnov is just, at this stage, he's on that much of a roll. Like, there's that certain aura around him. Yeah. That, you know, like, there's certain fighters that have it that you're like, okay, it's their time. Mm-hmm. This is one I look at and go, it's his time. So I'm going to say third round strikes to stop this. Pad, you got a pick on this? I'm going to say agree with you. Third round strikes. I was just looking. I was curious who to see who uh, uh, Magmed or uh, yeah, his uh, team, Magmed's team is. Uh, his team is the Fight Club Akmat team, uh, which didn't never really heard of him until I started looking at some of the fighters. Uh, some dude named Fabricio Verdum mm. is uh, one of those fighters. Uh, Vitali Big Dash is on there. Also of note, uh, some dude named Syed Nurmagomedov. So there, there's another fucking Nurmagomedov. <laughs> yeah. They're like fucking flowers. They keep popping up everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, something tells me he's going to be real good. Yeah. No, I, I don't doubt that he gets a, to the 10-fight win streak. And, I mean, to do that in the UFC is just insane. Though. Oh, yeah. Certain fighters only get up there. And then I think they make the fight with Glover. Sure. And you know what? I, that That's big box office right now. Yeah. Because Glover, I mean, at this stage, I mean, you're, you're talking about a transition of the guard. And mm-hmm. I, it's weird saying that because, I mean, I remember when Glover came in right. and fighters were turning him down yep. because nobody wanted any part of him. And he came in with uh, Chuck Liddell's camp at the time. Oh, yeah. And just was on fire until I believe he ran into John Jones. And then, Yeah, he was, he was supposed to be the one in the lineage of folks who were going to be the one to beat John Jones. He was supposed to be the one. Yeah, and it didn't happen. He kind he of got, went, he got close. He got very close, and then to see him pull off the the Cinderella esque story. If if and if memory serves, I think from the time John came in and then won the belt, I think he was the first one that like really showed there's a chance he could lose. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if memory serves, him and Gustafson. Yeah. That was that's yeah. the only two that have really stood out. I mean, you can argue Dominic Reyes. Yeah. Um. If but you, but I'm, if, I'm talking like in the run up to where we currently stand. Yeah. I can't remember who was first, whether it was Gustafson or, or uh, Glover. I think it was, I think it was Gustafson. And then Glover gave him was like shortly thereafter. That could be. Cause I that, think, you every, know, that sounds about right. Yeah. Cause when Gustafson fought him the first time, well, I mean, those were my college days and those were a blur. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember watching those fights and just how insane they were and to see Glover, you know, win the title and then ultimately wind up losing it. Yeah. And then now, you know, it's this weird state of flex for the light heavyweights. It's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes up, but I think they did the right thing. And like I said, oh, I, I applaud Yuri for doing that because that is not easy to do. A lot of fighters don't like doing that. They like hanging the interim title on their opponents until they come back, and then it's a big mess. No. You vacate, and then when he comes back, I guarantee you he's getting the first title shot. Mm-hmm. Like It doesn't matter who's winning in the in the 205 division. It's going to go to Yuri, and that's going to be a hell of a fight if it's him and Magnov. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that right now. That's going to be a Big, big fight. Regardless of that, man, this is a very, very stacked card. Like I say, it's, it's kind of flying under the radar with all the shakeups they've had going on. Right. But this is one definitely not to miss this coming Saturday from the T-Mobile Arena. UFC 282. So that said, we gave you our picks. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about UFC 282? I know our guy Mike from the Multiverse of Badness has got some takes on this. I definitely want to hear what he's got. And definitely throw your picks on social media. Definitely let me know who you're going with. Let Pad know who you're going with. We like to talk that UFC talk. So let's do it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We're going to be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Ma, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, 
AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment of this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it's time to talk a little bit of pro wrestling. Hell yeah. And there is a very, very busy week going on this week in the land of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. And there's a marquee premium live event. Mm -hmm. I got to remember, you can't say pay-per-view anymore. You just can't. That definitely has caught our eyes here at the ODPH. Yeah. And, Pad, what is that event? Uh, It is the first of its kind uh, NXT deadline taking place this Saturday uh, from the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida on the Peacock. Yes, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We did get confirmation that it is 8 p.m. Standard Time because there's a lot of, like, weird timing going on with events happening this week. We know the UFC obviously is kicking off 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for UFC 282. Got to be out before they start. Yep. There is a Ring of Honor pay-per-view that's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus, that's weird. Yeah. So we're going to say reasons and leave that one alone. But this is the card that definitely caught our attention, and it has a very unique match involved. Yeah. Which... I've got feelings on, and Pad, let's kind of just dive into it and break it down that this card obviously taking place from the Performance Center. Yep. Uh, so in uh, Orlando, Florida, and so there are only three matches announced for this card. Wouldn't be surprised if there's another one announced either tonight as we record uh, during NXT or during the week leading up to uh, this uh, event. Uh, but the matches we have announced thus far are, uh, obviously, you have Braun Breaker taking on Apollo Crews for the NXT uh, Championship uh, in a singles matchup. Probably going to be Braun. Listen, no offense to Apollo Crews, but Braun ain't losing until at least Mania. Yeah, no, I love this match. I really do. I think this is going to be a possible match of the year candidate. Okay. I'm going to go out on limit. Apollo Crews being in NXT has really helped a lot. Oh, my God, yeah. And I think and it's nothing that's – he's always had the physical ability. Like, if you watch him on the indies and then oh, we yeah. came to NXT the first time and then he got up to the main roster. And, and the one thing we need to remind folks is – when you go to the main roster under the Vince McMahon era, mm-hmm. it's all about can you talk on the mic? Mm-hmm. What's your character? Under the Triple H regime, it's more 50-50 than I think it's been in, in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, the thing I remember when Apollo Crews debuted up on the main roster was he, he came up there from, I wasn't really watching NXT at the time. Mm-hmm. But I remember him coming up, loved the theme music at the time. The theme music then was awesome. But I just remember then and for the longest time, He'd come, the music would hit, and he'd come out and he'd try to hype the crowd up, and the crowd would be just crickets. Yeah. No matter what city they were in, wrestling city or not, or not big wrestling city. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's certainly, you know, reinvented himself, you know, here down in NXT, and it's worked wonders. And I think it's going to spell great things for him when he eventually goes back up to the main roster. Yeah, no, I do too. I think this is going to be a great match. Uh, I'm going to take Braun Breaker. I think that he's got the belt until further notice, but if they make a crazy change and Apollo does get the belt, like Mm -hmm. we were talking about this a little bit on 607 TWS, outright down your favorite podcast provider, I think that he could definitely, Breaker could be on his way to the main roster sooner than expected. Could be. I think, though, he's going to be in the Royal Rumble no matter what. Probably. But it just depends if they want to introduce him as NXT champ or not. And it really just depends on what Triple H and Shawn Michaels want to do concerning the brand moving forward. Right. Either way, I'm going to say Breaker's retaining, and we'll just kind of enjoy a really, really good match because I think they're going to give this one a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then the the only other two matches announced for the uh, event are the Men's and Women's Iron Survivor Challenge, uh, and this is to determine the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship and the NXT Championship, respectively. So you sitting at home might be wondering, Pad, what the fuck? 
Rock is an Iron Survivor Challenge match. Yeah. So reading off of the Wikipedia page, and if I lose you, I apologize. I'm going to try and keep this as clear cut as can be. Uh, so in this matchup, there are one, two, three, four, five participants for both men's and women's. We'll get to the participants in just a minute. But so there are five participants. You have two wrestlers start the match, and every five minutes, another wrestler enters until all five participants are present. So think war games. War games! Where you have two people start off, and the match can't start until everybody is in the ring. After that, the last wrestler enters. There is a predetermined time limit. What this time limit is, as of recording, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Could find out on the go-home episode of NXT tonight, or we could find out night of. We don't know what it is, but there is a predetermined time limit for uh, these matches. So during these matches, each time a wrestler scores a pinfall submission or they are the victim or they are the victim of a disqualification they gain a point each wrestler who is pinned submitted or is disqualified goes into a penalty box for 90 seconds uh so then the winner of the match is the wrestler who scores the most points at the end of the time limit so kind of like uh, fall, uh what the hell is the ma- uh, uh what the hell's the one matchup where it's like they go for a certain amount of time most most pinfalls at the end of the time. Oh, Iron Man match? Thank you. It's like an Iron Man match or Iron Woman match, uh, you know, in, in that sense. And then, like we mentioned, the winners of these matches are the now, uh, new number one contenders for the NXT Championship and the NXT Women's Championship. Apologize if I lost you. Rewind if you got to listen to that again just to understand. See, this is a undescribable combination. Mm-hmm. Of bad matches, in my opinion. Like, if you've ever it's watched, interesting. Well, it's interesting on this on this aspect. The fact that they're borrowing from so many bad matches and trying to make something happen here, sure, is kind of crazy. Because it's like they do tie it in the wall games time limit of everybody has to enter and come in. Right. This whole penalty box thing screams TNA King of the Mountain. Mm. If you've never seen that match, I have to say it might be my least favorite gimmick match of all time. Like, it's just a cluster. Mm-hmm. Of just random crap. Right. And there's a penalty box thing that people have to go to and sit and wait. So how this is all going to play out is really just confusing. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I think you're going to have to just sit back and watch is whenever the time starts, and I'm going to say they're probably going to get 10 minutes in because you have to think if two wrestlers are starting. Yep. And then it's five minutes per each wrestler. So that's 5, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, you're looking at at least 15 minutes before the match fully kicks off and gets underway. Right. I don't see them going like a full half hour because I think that'd just be way too much. It'd be like almost an hour for each match because mm-hmm. you got to think intros and all that jazz too yeah, for, the, yeah. for the two starters. Yeah. So you got to think that maybe it's like a 15-minute time limit after the match starts. So that put around half hour, 40 minutes range. It's still going to be confusing to see how this all plays out. And I will say if they make this work and it's actually worthwhile watching, I'll be okay with it. I just don't know how this is going to shape up. I really don't. Like I've been sitting here and King of the Mountain, maybe that's kind of the vibe that's throwing me off of everything. Maybe. Because I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to play out. But we do have a talented yeah. uh, roster involved. Yeah. So let's break it down. Yeah, no, I'm very excited for this. We'll see how this goes. Uh, for the women's side, you have Zoe Stark. 
Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James, and a wild card winner to be determined. Uh, so taking place uh, tonight as we record, there is going to be uh, a triple threat matchup between uh, Wendy Chu, Fallon Henley, and Indy Hartwell. Uh, the winner of that will be the final spot in the Women's uh, Iron Survivor Challenge. Uh, and then on the men's side, you have Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller and Joe Gacy, along with another wildcard winner. Uh, and this is going tonight as we record, there's going to be a triple threat match between Von Wagner, Axiom, and Andre Chase to determine Chase uh, you to determine the final spot for the men's Iron Survivor Challenge spot. Okay. Well, let's talk about the women's match first because I will start yelling Chase you all day. Okay. Because the, the character Andre Chase just makes me laugh. I don't know why. Okay. Okay, so the women's match is Zoe Stark, Cora Jade, and Roxanne Perez are all in big storylines right now. Mm-hmm. Keanu James and the wild card winner, I mean, throwing in from, well, let's break down the wild card match in to get in. Wendy, okay. Wendy Chu, Fallon Hen- Henley. Wait, and Indy. And Indy. Who do you got in that one? I'm going to say Indy. Uh, that's because a certain someone has been showing up at NXT house shows over the last couple of weeks. A certain gentleman who's a, the strong, silent type likes to carry around an axe. Mm-hmm. A certain gentleman by the name of Dexter Loomis. Yeah, but making been, despite the fact he's on the main roster and he's been on Raw for the last you know couple of months or whatever it is, uh, very noticeably made a couple of uh, runs, uh, especially for Indy Hartwell matches down at uh, NXT house shows the last couple weekends. I'm going to say Indy. I'm going to say Indy now because I know when we did 607 TWS we did not have this information, so I'm going to uh, change. Okay. I'm changing my pick from there. Okay. I'm going to say Indy does win this match to get in, and I think Indy wins. Hmm. The championship, because what I think is going to happen is Indy's going to the main roster to get paired with Dexter Loomis. Especially given Monday Night Raw this week where you had Gargano, Candice LeRae, and Dexter Loomis all together. Yeah. At one point. I, I think the way is getting reunited here at some point. And I'm okay with this. So am I. I'm perfectly all right with this. So I think this makes a lot of perfect sense because if Indy goes up against Mandy Rose and loses, it doesn't no. affect her one way or another. No. I was originally picking Zoe Stark because I think that Zoe is definitely ready to get into that main event picture. Oh, she's got all the upside. She does. And I think what's going on with her and Nikita Lyons is very, very compelling TV, too. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt, though, if Roxanne Perez or Cora Jade gets it mm. just because with their feud going on. Yeah. That's become an NXT's new fight forever. They got great chemistry in the ring. Well, see, I think the Perez Core J thing's going to take each. They're, they're going to cancel each other out. They're going to be so focused on beating the holy hell out of each other for however long this matchup goes that they're going to cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to say it's going to be Indy, and then this is a swan song. It's for the big yeah. call up. So I'm yeah. okay with this perfectly. And then you got the main, and then you got the men's in the Iron Survivor Challenge. Which, listen, my heart's telling me Joe Gacy but I, I, I'm not sure it's going to happen or not. Okay, well, let's talk about who gets in between Von Wagner, Axiom, and Andre Chase You, I'm going to say Von Wagner. I hate it, but it's true. Yeah. He's going to. He's going to. I'm, yeah. We are all... I, don't, I think it's like a collective of 607 podcasts are not a fan of Von Wagner. He's all right. He's not. He's, I, I, he's okay. Am I, am, is he the worst thing I've ever seen? Nah, is he the best I've ever seen? Hell no. Yeah, I I can't get behind. It. I'm just I'm sorry. I'm not impressed by it. I'm not impressed by his performance. To quote George St. Pierre. Yeah, but I do think he does get in out of the, these three. Even though I'd love to see Andre Chase get in just for reasons. And then you get in that main event picture, and see, this is tough for me mm-hmm. because who I think should win and who I think is going to win, mm-hmm. who I think should win, Carmelo Hayes. Yeah, I think he should win. Rumblings of him going up to the main roster soon. Yep, same reason that I that I was picking Indy. I think it'll be the swan song before he goes up. Mm-hmm. 
who I think will win is Joe Gacy. Okay. See, now I'm changing my thing because originally I had a mystery person coming in, mm. like Timothy Thatcher. Okay. And then that would have just been a whole different ball of wax. No, but I think Gacy's going to win. And yeah. then maybe that's how you do the send-off that Gacy would stay in NXT and Breaker goes up after yeah, that match. Which, more power to it. Listen, Joe Gacy becomes NXT world champ. Yo. I will be super happy about I'm, that. I'm all for and, it. And you as well. So this is what makes this pay-per-view kind of – or sorry, premium live event. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, hey, Gacy for days. Yeah. So if they can pull this off, I mean, this, I think that's how it kind of plays up because then after this – there's no premium live events until the Royal until Rumble. The, until the Rumble, yeah, which is why I think they threw this in here at the last moment because it'd be a long time to not have something for them between. And listen, I understand why there's not anything else in December. It's kind of busy between holidays and then the college football season starting off. They're not going to want to go against that. No, it's smart. I mean, that's the whole thing. You, you get your stuff done early, and then you can just focus on your TV shows, which, I mean, a lot yeah. of them are going to be pre-taping anyway. Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, it's happened in the years past. Yeah. So... NXT has got a bright future going on. I mean, we'll speak very briefly if you want to talk about the William Regal drama. Yeah, sure. So, uh, obviously, it has been widely reported that William Regal is finished in AEW and will be making his return to WWE uh, in some capacity in the uh, coming months, a.k.a. next month, which not entirely surprised. Surprised it happened. I figured it happened at some point. Did not see it happening this quickly. No, I definitely did not. I know that we have spoken in length about this off-air and obviously on 607TWS uh, last night. This move is a big fumble for AEW mm-hmm. on various levels uh-huh. that Regal should have been a game-changer there and unfortunately was not given the opportunity, in my opinion, to be one. No. And the fact that for a company that needed somebody to really fix a lot of things that need work on their TV shows. Mm-hmm. The fact you let him walk out the door yeah, is very perplexing. The, the William Regal is one of the men, I, and I realize there's a lot of people, no no one person is responsible for like wrestling storylines. Sure. But he was there, he was involved with one of, if not the best periods of professional wrestling in history. Mm-hmm. You know, especially at that time, I would put that run of NXT from like, what would you say, like 2015 till 2019, 2020? Give or take you know, was some of the best wrestling on television, any brand. Oh, yeah. On on TV. So you had a man who was had his hand in that, and then you brought him in, and what, you just had him as a manager for a bunch of guys he was already friends with, and that was it? Yeah. Like, f- for the issues a lot of folks have with AEW in the booking, or just, you know, oh, it's too much of this wrestler, too much of that wrestler, you know, that you didn't at least go, hey, what do you think we should do with this? What do you think we should do with that? The fact that you didn't pick his brain, you really dropped the ball. Absolutely. I think it's just insulting. I think that the fact that you had him there yeah. and he was one of the architects to make NXT, which has spawned off how many superstars for both God, AEW we'd be here for days. and WWE, and you don't utilize his talents? Yeah, no, it's you a just, missed up. Yeah, it's a complete missed up. So. Now that he's coming back to the fold, the contract, uh, you know, puzzle, I guess, has been finally solved. Yeah, it's widely reported by many places. Now he's due back first of the year to WWE. He's going to be a big factor, and for Triple H, this is just another feather in the cap. And they're going to do so many big things on that roster. It's going to get wild, and the fact that AEW let him go, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. This is a major misstep for a company that can't afford to do missteps. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I hope whether it's NXT or it's the main roster, whatever he goes to do, I hope he appears on screen just once and yells war games. Just like, oh, wait, did I? sorry, did I miss it? 
I hope. Oh my god, and, I need and, that. And so whether it's the main roster, it could be Triple H, or NXT, it could be Shawn Michaels. He just shows up on screen. World Games. Sorry, sorry, did I miss it? And whoever it is, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, just looks at him and goes, "Yeah, just a bit." They should just have another World Games match in honor, just to let him come out and do it proper. Because you know his impact. He had the video package before they did the the one this year. That's true. That's why. That's how much of a legacy he has, and that's just a little part of his legacy too. Man, just wait till he gets a hold of some of the young talent there mm-hmm. and how much they're going to flourish under him. And you'll see some of those talents starting to emerge a little bit this week on NXT Deadline. So definitely make sure you check that out on the Peacock this Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're looking for more pro wrestling content, make sure to check out the latest edition of 607 TWS on your favorite podcast provider. Definitely a lot more in-depth talk about the AEW situation here because, you know, we don't like talking AEW here on the show. Uh, I don't watch it. Yeah, well, and that and uh, what pad? Reasons. But we definitely want to talk to you about NXT, so definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Let us know what you think of the card. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies podcast. Bye. Coming back for the final segment in this edition of the ODPH podcast, Pad. What you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Obviously, the first of which is the local minute. Uh, looking at the standings for the federal uh, prospects hockey league. That is, of course, the uh, promotion, the, the hockey league that our local Binghamton Black Bears play in. Uh, in the Empire Division, they are still in second place behind Danbury. Uh, Danbury with uh, 13 wins, one loss, one overtime loss. Binghamton sitting in second place uh, with 11 wins, four losses, two of them in over two losses in overtime. Uh, looking at their schedule from this past week, they had uh, two games they played, both of which were at home. Uh, they beat the uh, Watertown Wolves on Friday by the final score of 6-3 to three, and then beat them again on Saturday by the final score of 4 to nothing. Looking ahead to their games, they have this upcoming week. They've got two of them, one on the road, one at home. Friday is on the road where they're playing the Delaware Thunder. That is at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and then they come home on Saturday to play the Delaware Thunder at 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, For more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. And it's also worth noting that this weekend, Teddy Bear Toss. Oh, hey-oh. Love love me and Teddy Bear Toss. Yep, keep track of that if you're living in the 607. Uh, And then we've got to talk some baseball because uh, winter meetings are going on, free agency has started, and dollars are getting doled out in record numbers. Uh, First of which we're going to start, I'm not going to go through everything, these are just some of the big ones. Uh, First one of which you had, which I did not see coming, was Jacob deGrom has signed with the, is going to sign with the Texas Rangers on a five-year $185 $185 million deal. Uh, you have all of it guaranteed. All of it guaranteed. Uh, and then the kickers with this is there is a club option uh, with a for $20 million in uh, 2028. Uh, and then there's a, then there's some bonuses and whatnot. Uh, you know, innings pitched, you know, the Cy Young and, and whatnot. Uh, but there is also of note a full no trade clause, meaning he ain't going nowhere unless he says so. Uh, so big surprise for him, big surprise for Texas because hey, they weren't that good though last year. 
I don't understand the move, to be honest, unless he went uh, Zach Greinke and just went in for the dollar sign. Uh, he went for the dollar sign because no state income tax down there in Texas. Yeah, like I, I, I'm not faulting him about getting paid. I'll no. never fault him about getting his money. But you know what? If you're going there to win a championship, what's there to really build off? I'm mm-hmm. sorry, nothing in my opinion. No, they're they're not they're not close. Well, it's it's all about the it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had Clayton Kershaw, surprising to no one, signed a one year, twenty million dollar deal to stay with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, no shock there. No shock there. Uh, shocking to, well, everyone was Trey Turner was with the, uh, LA Dodgers signed an 11 year, $300 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. Wow. All of it guaranteed full, no trade clause. Uh, they will be paying this man until he's 40 years old, uh, currently 29 years old. They have, if memory serves between six players now, they have a billion dollars tied up. The Philadelphia Phillies do. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's freaking insane. That's fucking bonkers. Uh, did not take the Mets long to uh, replace uh, Jacob DeGrom because uh, yesterday, as we record, they signed a Justin Verlander to a two-year, I don't agree with his dollar amount, $86.6 million contract. That's a lot of money for a dude who's 39 years old, about will turn uh, 40 before the season starts. Uh, and then there is a club option, or there's an option in 2025 with it for $35 million. So he won't be a free. So it's two years, possibility of three years. Well, you know what? I understand why he they threw it at him because they had to throw big money at somebody. Yeah. And they obviously took a page out of the Scherzer book mm-hmm. and didn't care about the age and just wanted to make sure they got him. I mean, the age seemingly doesn't matter for him because you look at his numbers. He was still he was still in the Cy Young conversation this past year and the last couple of years. So yeah. like, age ain't no issue for this dude. No, it's definitely not, but the only question is – your hitting situation was a lot better in Houston than it yeah. is. And so it's like, yeah. how many yeah. close games are you going to wind up losing? I'm just saying, like, with the Mets, Matt, it's Matt's, just... n- Matt's notoriously bad run support. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's the that's the factor I think he has to worry about. Mm-hmm. But I think at this stage, he got they outbid Houston. Yeah. And I think Houston understood the temp yeah. in the room with him. So. Yeah. Uh, for the Yankees, they signed uh, Tommy Canely to a two-year, $11.5 million contract. Uh, he was with them a couple of years ago. He was most recently with the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, so a good deal for them. He's a decent uh, bullpen guy, in the, which they do need help in that mm-hmm. uh, that aspect. So, hey, makes sense for them. Uh, you have Josh Bell, who was with the San Diego Padres, si- is signing with the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, he's a first baseman. Signed a two-year, $33 million contract. Uh, so good pickup for them. He's a good bat, so that obviously uh, works for them. Uh, shocking to everyone, myself included, uh, right as we were recording, uh, Cody Bellinger, who was with the L.A. Dodgers, is signing a one-year, uh, what is it, $17.5 million contract uh, to be with the Chicago Cubs. That's weird. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that move. Neither do I. But, hey, one-year deal, he's probably, you know, contract year and then get a big paycheck uh, after this season's over. And uh, notice we did not mention Aaron Judge because unlike John Heyman, we are not egregiously posting he has signed with the team. John Heyman, while we were recording, said he had signed with the San Francisco Giants and then was like, oh, hey, just kidding. I got that wrong. So John John Heyman is getting dragged on Twitter right now. Well, that's the thing. With Aaron Judge and especially him being the focal point of free agency this year because of his past season's work, mm-hmm. all eyes are watching the Yankees and the Giants right now yep. because they are the two teams that are involved. Uh-huh. And that being said, Case, everybody's waiting on a fever pitch because there's going to be a big domino effect after he gets yep. signed. Yep. And with what's rumored, and we're stressing rumored yeah. to be getting thrown around. Yeah. Nine years, three hundred and fifty million by the Giants. That's why they and the Yankees are eight years and two ninety, two eighty, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right. 
So he's being smart about this, being Aaron Judge. Well, because in all likelihood, given his age, this could very well be the last contract he signs because I know he's in his late 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, so eight, nine, ten years, you're talking into your late 30s or, you know, even close to 40, depending on how long it goes. You, you ain't going to sign many more contracts after that. No. So if this is going to be the only opportunity you get to test this process and test this experience, you got to make the calls. He's going to make the call, and that's the thing about it. I, I have full faith the Yankees are going to re-sign him. Because, oh, I do too. Because what's going to happen is this. They just re-signed Brian Cashman to a four-year deal. Yeah, because reasons. Reasons. Yeah. But, and the team knows, with this included, Judge's top priority. Cashman has even came out and said it. Oh, yeah. There's no way they're not going to conjure up the ghost of George Steinbrenner yeah. and say, here's a blank check, here's a 10-year deal. Mm-hmm. Write in your amount, mm-hmm. let's get it done. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's going to take to get it done. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. He's going to get 9 and 400 mm. from the Yanks. Okay, I could see it. And if you're saying, well, that's going to be too much, the, the Giants, because like the Giants could keep throwing Yankee, the money. Yan- Yankees have said they're not going to be out bad. Yeah. They're going to literally say, here's a blank check. What is your number? Yeah. And if you're not willing to play in the Bronx, then you can go out west and fall into obscurity. You just have to play the game of negotiations, you know. Yeah. Just because that's the way the business works. You you can't throw out a blank check. Well, you could throw out a blank check at the start, but, you know. They they got to play the business and they got to do it fairly and you know give everybody the opportunity. But hey, at the end of the day, nobody can outbid the Yankees. That's exactly the point. So I mean, you can sit there and keep throwing numbers. I mean, Frisco is eventually going to tap out, mm-hmm. and it'll be an absurd contract. Oh, it's going to be like that's the whole thing about it. But is if, it going to be worth it? Yeah. For the Yankees, you can't fault no doing that. Like I'm sorry, you just you can't let him go because he's the face of your franchise. He's the next captain. Mm-hmm. And whether he got very upset, the fans were booing. I'm sorry, like you have to have a certain mentality to play in New York. He's beloved in New York. When you when you break a 60 year old record in the American League and in, in the number of home runs hit in a single season, and then you effectively lay a goose egg. Yeah. In the playoffs, when you were hitting them seemingly at will with ease, that has not been seen since like the ancient Roman days of, mm. of Herculean efforts. You know. People are going to, you know, New York's New York's a tough city to play in. You know, there's high expectations with all of their teams, the Yankees especially. But like I said, when you go the season hitting home runs with the ease that he did and at the frequency he did to get in the playoffs and then lay a goose egg, they're going to boo you. Yeah, exactly. They Ask are, A-Rod about the boos. And they have every right to because, you know what, they're paying customers. Yeah. So, you know what, if you want to produce, you can do it. If you want to fall in obscurity, go out west because guess what? The Giants are not going to see the postseason as often as the Yankees no, are. No. So, and the Yankees are very well loaded in that farm system too. Yeah, they got some guys coming up. There's a couple of Japanese players that are uh, going to be posted that they'll they'll certainly be in on. So they, they got a bright future. Yeah. So I'm hoping Judge makes the right decision. I'm hoping I, do, the Yankees, I do too. I'm hoping the Yankees make one. If not, I do too. if not, we're going to have a very lengthy segment next week. Oh, oh boy. So uh, stay tuned for that, yeah. dot, dot, dot. Uh, and certainly not leastly, I have to talk, there is, uh, while college football playoffs are determined, who, then there's the possibility for a Michigan-Ohio State title game. Will it happen? Probably not. Would it be cool to see? Absolutely. Uh, while the college uh, bowl game season has not started, there's still, there's still one more game 
to take place before the college football uh, bowl season starts. And that is arguably the most important game of the entire year. No, it's not Ohio State, Michigan. No, it's not anything to do with Notre Dame or Alabama. No, folks, it is the Army Black Knights taking on the Navy midshipmen. That's right. Army Navy taking place this weekend. Uh, they have been playing almost every year uh, since November 29th of 1890. couple exceptions, obviously, World War One, World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took some breaks. Uh, but in the matchup between the two, uh, they have, there is um, Army has 53 wins. I'm going off of uh, GoArmyWestPoint.com. Uh, the, the Army is 53 wins, 55 losses, and 7 ties. Um, our Navy won the game last year by the final score of 17-13. Uh, let's see for bah, 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 total points. There has been 1,470 total points. Uh, the largest margin of victory was 38 to nothing, uh, for the army that was back in 1949. Uh, and then the average points is 12.78. Uh, this is taking place this Saturday, uh, from Lincoln financial field in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, at 3 PM Eastern on CBS, uh, where it will be a crisp 42 degrees. So definitely and it, if you have not seen an army Navy game, it is all the good stuff of college football, a little more pomp and circumstance because it's army, it's Navy, you know, so it's, it's a whole bunch of guys and girls uh, in the stands and a whole bunch of guys on the field who, you know, might not necessarily be going pro, you know, yeah. once their four years are up. A lot of these guys and girls that you see on the field there will be serving in the armed forces uh, here in the United States. Uh, it, it's quite the pageantry. I haven't been to army Navy. Uh, my brother has, he served in the, he serves in the army. He went to West point. He was there for the first time army beat Navy in like 15 years. Uh, that was in Baltimore at the Ravens field. I texted him. Are you on the field? Because the, <laughs> the army students stormed the field. I said, do you tell me you stormed the field? And he goes, what do you think? I'm stupid. Of course I did. Yeah. So he stormed the field in Baltimore. Uh, it's a, it's a hell of a uh, game to watch. So I highly recommend you check it out this Saturday on CBS. Absolutely. So you definitely want to make sure to watch it. It's one of the best games of the year. Yeah. Bar none. Records don't matter. It's just playing from the bottom of the heart. So yeah. you, you can't go wrong with that. I'm going to end the show on that note. And cause obviously there's no better way to cap things off than talking army Navy for anything and everything that is the ODPH podcast. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's all we've got for this week involving sports. So for the one only pedal one J fuck the Astros and go army beat Navy. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one